Hello and welcome to the Ski Racing Podcast with me, Ed Drake. Joining me in this episode is former World Cup downhiller, Dougie Crawford. Coming up in the show, we're discussing last weekend's action. First, we'll take a look back at the women's racing from Samaritz and then we'll be discussing men's GS from Val d'Isere before looking ahead to this weekend's action. The women have the weekend off after Chevjol's speed events in Val d'Isere were cancelled due to a lack of snow, which is ironic as we lost the men's slalom due to the blizzarding conditions in the same resort. While the men are racing Super G and downhill in Val Gardena on Friday and Saturday, then it's a quick trip round into the adjacent valley to Alta Badia for GS on Sunday with Parallel GS on Monday. Doug, thanks for joining me. How have you found the World Cup season so far? I think it's been an exciting start, hasn't it? And it's been um, a lot of the big names performing, but also a few interesting new people pulling it out and really blasting in some top performances. Yeah, it's been an exciting start. Obviously frustrating to miss out on a few of the men's races so far, missing one GS and one slalom. So hopefully they can move those in and get them in later in the season. Uh, let's start quickly, though, with the women's action. Let's have a look at the Super G, with Schifrin taking a second Super G victory, back-to-back Super G victories for her. Just seemingly unstoppable right now, right? Yeah, it was fascinating watching it, because um, a lot of the early girls were more sort of technical specialists, and actually the speed girls that were early on crashed out. And I was struggling to see Schifrin performing on that, with you know the blind terrain, the jumps coming into... But she absolutely nailed it. Incredible movement. I, I couldn't agree peaceful. more. She's. You'd think that Samaritz, with its terrain, blind rolls, high speeds, lots lots of blind gates, like you say, to then perform there, where it's your proper downhill skills need to come into their own, is in, incredible. Now she's winning in all disciplines. It's She's unstoppable, surely, for the title already. It's ridiculous. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? And we saw her perform so well in the speed events in Lake Louise last year, but now she's doing it in other speed tracks with jumps and terrain, and you look at it and you go, she's she's not worried about the jumps, she's not scared of the speed elements, and actually the, the real speed girls like Lara Gut and Vyratter are struggling to keep pace with that. Yeah, I mean, she's nearly 400 points ahead in the overall already, and we're not even into January yet, that she's going to have this wrapped up. Well, you think so, and you look at you know her statistics already, it's, it's just unbelievable. You know, she's got 48 World Cup victories, and she's 24. I know, we talk about Vaughn going for, you know, to beat the 86 of Stenmark, and, and Hirscher already racking up his 60th win, but Schifrin's going to surpass them all in, in five years' time. Well, I mean, you never know, do you? You never know where a career is going to go, but at, at this rate, it's unbelievable and you know when she was 17 she sort of erupted onto the scene and you know won olympic gold but you know by the time she was 20 she already was world champion olympic champion world cup champion and she's just kept that going and like you said now winning in all disciplines you think she could go another 10 years easily over 100 world cup victories couldn't she unless somebody's going to step up lara goot barami finding some old form because she's not she's not been firing for a few a couple of seasons at least now anyway no, not really, but it's if if she was going to find form somewhere, you fancy either the, the Super G in Lake Louise and it didn't quite happen for her, but then Sam Moritz is her old um, haunting ground. I remember her sort of bursting onto the scene there with some pretty amazing performances when she was a youngster. So yeah, it's good to see her back and I still just love the way she skis. It's pretty technically amazing. Yeah, she takes some risks, but they haven't been panning out until 
the weekend where yeah, finishing second and it was a bit more of the uh, of the goot of old and I think you're right come to the more challenging tracks more technical tracks she's going to be one to now start cha- are we talking about Schifrin is she going to be starting winning everything now are we looking at, at somebody to challenge Schifrin in speed or is the Schifrin going to she's going to go away and we're going to get the established speed track uh, ladies back on well I think the at the step. moment we're also missing Gogia and we're missing Vaughn you know so the two favourites pre-season are not there right now but um, obviously Schifrin <laughs> stepped up and taken over on that front but then you see the so the next speed girls down, Lara Gut and or Gut Barami, sorry, and uh, Tina Weiratter. And actually Ragnil Mo Winkle from Norway is suddenly She's performing pretty impressively. Well, she's starting to get some results across the disciplines, isn't she? So I think, in all in all, I think the the women put on a great show, as did um, Sam Ritz, because it looked like a a perfect piece yet again from from the Swiss. Yeah, it's it's such a cool track there. Nothing's super steep, which in theory sort of makes it easier, but there's so many blind gates and different changes of terrain. And if you make a mistake on one of those, then you pay for it for quite some time because it's hard to get that speed back because it isn't super steep you don't have that opportunity so i thought it was a brilliant race to watch that super g it was really good and then the women the following day raced parallel slalom schifrin took the win uh, then vlahova as you'd kind of expect with wendy holdner taking the bronze what do you think of the program yeah and it's 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 a long day for a lot of the girls as well it's um it's maybe quite difficult for them but it does. It does seem the fairest way to do it. I, I never loved this sort of automatic qualification, and we do issues with sort of the nations having a spot. So one of the top guys from one nation would pull out and give the opportunity to one of their yeah. teammates, uh, which was, in my mind, never quite right. Um, so it's at least everyone's getting to race the head-to-heads on merit now. And then because it still counts for World Cup points, we obviously had to settle all the other rounds you had to find out who was fourth fifth and then sixth and seventh and so i think it, it did seem to take a little time but like you say that if that's the way they're going i think the city events tend to run a little bit smoother but i think it was all right the head-to-head in general is just a fantastic event it's great to see that and you know as having raced it as well the pressure you have when someone's next to you it's it's, it's raw it's, racing isn't it yeah it's, it's, it's cool it's really cool. It's really, yeah, raw, pure racing. And it really gets your gets your heart going, gets you fired up. And it's amazing how some people change with that, where they step up and ski faster just because they have that pressure of someone right there. Yeah, definitely. Just racing the clock. Uh, the men racing over in Val d'Isere on the Faster Belvard. That piece is ridiculous. Well, we, we had some good times there. when uh, <laughs> uh, I remember Ed and I being at the World Champs there and watching like five of the top first ten guys down the Super G crashing, Ted Ligeti kicking off his skis before he hit the nets, as no one, no one slowed down after they fell. They sort of accelerated <laughs> down the sheet of ice, and we had to go around for a run. It was a pretty nerve-wracking experience, and it's, it's not any easier now. It's, it's a tough, tough hill, and it's just relentless, isn't it? It absolutely is. Yeah, when you, set, you get the top guys spinning it into the nets and then you're expected to go out and challenge for this on the same piece it does get your heart rate going but Marcel Hirscher 60th win in World Cup absolutely dominated that track head and shoulders comfortably above everybody else yes it's amazing isn't it and the Hirscher you just look at the guy he's just so fit he's so strong and so consistent you watch him a run and he's pushing so hard but yet 
he finishes almost all the time and he's consistently fast and that's what really splits you know the top guys apart um, from some of the other guys who can be good on one day but here sure is just good every week isn't he and you just it's hard to bet against him every race that he puts his skis on for he's challenging for a win yeah, and his, his statistics are ridiculous with it as well. I think he's podiumed about 50% of the time he's started a World Cup. And Schifrin's similar to that as well. It's mind-blowing. It really is. And then Christofferson skied well, found himself in second place. But uh, And Mats Olsen. It was nice to see him getting a podium. He's put on some good results so far. It's quite interesting to see the different styles, isn't it? Mats Olsen, very fluid, nice and smooth and calm. The Christoffersons, you're technical, you know, technically very gifted, looks a little bit more aggressive, and Hirsch are just that natural, raw talent. It's, such a gr- it's so nice to see that it, there's not one way of skiing to win or podium World Cups, is there? It's, sort of, it's quite fluid. Yeah, it's, it's what makes it a really interesting sport, isn't it? There's no sort of stereotypical shape of a ski racer either. You know, you've got some taller, leaner guys, some shorter, stockier guys, and guys skiing completely differently, but yet it all comes down to tenths of seconds, hundreds of seconds a lot of the time. But you've got to feel for Christofferson where he's, in any other generation, he's doing incredibly, incredibly well. He still is, but I just seems to constantly be second place behind him. He does, doesn't he? He can't catch a break. He <laughs> thinks he's put down a, a monster run and, and Hirscher just goes down and absolutely smashes him. And like you say, Hirscher just doesn't make mistakes. He makes micro-adjustments. He feels the onset of a mistake, makes a micro-adjustment, and that mistake never happens for everybody else. It, the mistake happens and you and you recover. He never recovers because he, he never lets it get that far. Yeah, and I think he's, he's just pushing so hard all the time and he said that with training as well with Manny Feller training alongside him he pushes himself so hard and if you're pushing yourself making mistakes all the time you you learn to see them coming but he seems to have a you know a sixth sense to be able to see the future you can see it coming way before and adjusts like you said and it's physically he's just so strong as well that he can pull off a recovery turn like you wouldn't believe to get back online and make it all work and so consistent. Uh, we saw Pantera having a tough time after winning back-to-back Val d'Azur, Faster Belvard, Giant Slaloms, and he, and he came in looking like a different skier, not not pulling through for the home crowd. Yeah, I mean, the Val d'Azur crowd would have loved to have seen him doing well, but it's just not quite clicked the season for him. Um, and, yeah, we'll see. It's, um, you know, post-Olympic year, it can, it can be a bit more difficult, and sometimes it's... Just um, some of the teams have better training than others. And to me, as a team, actually, the Swiss seem to have had a pretty phenomenal summer block when there's a lot of guys from the Swiss that are stepping up a big level, you know, from outside the 30 and inside the 30, who are suddenly in amongst it with names that you don't immediately recognise. So it's interesting to see. I'm not sure the French have quite got things right so far this year, at least in the technical discipline. They've still got a good programme, I think, because you see, you still see Mufar Jondé skiing well. You've got JP Grange after Levy pulling off a sweet result. Did he fifth or sixth, I think he was, in the slalom smash yeah. second run? Um, so the, the French have got a group, but I don't know if there's that cohesion, like you say. Like The Swiss just seem to be this uh, you know, a monumental force in all di- across all disciplines now, moving forward as a group, whereas uh, I'm not sure Pantero is... I don't know the guys, so I'm not sure what their programme's like, but it certainly seems externally that it doesn't seem like that team is, is as cohesive. Yeah, there's just something not quite floating and quite right, but I, I, I think a lot of it's also about momentum, and once if the French can get a few really good results, then yeah. they, they'll be building again. And um, Sometimes it's about the physical programmes that 
and their training blocks coming into the season that actually they might be looking to peak a bit more later on that they'll be you know, fresher after a break or whatever it is um, and but certainly some of the other teams seem to be firing on all cylinders early on. A story that's been running in the background ever since Beaver Creek giant slalom is uh, Stefan Lutz and this oxygen gate if you like. <laughs> that, um, so the story is that that Stefan Lutz was photographed basically sucking on oxygen, which WADA, the World Anti-Doping Association, say that that's not illegal and therefore they don't want any part of it. But Fizz have a different take on oxygen being taken on the field of play, I think is the terminology that they use. And and so this story has been rumbling on for a week. Uh, Stefan Lutz said before the first run of Val d'Azer that's been something that's playing on his mind and he didn't have a great day in the Giants slalom off the back of obviously winning in Beaver Creek. So we're kind of not sure what's happening there, but it's certainly a, an interesting situation that's arisen. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one and WADA sort of left it up to the, the governing bodies of the sport where they've said... It's fine as long as it's inhaled, but sports may have their own rules on it. And the FIST rules say that you're not supposed to have oxygen cylinders at race venues, which he appears to have broken, or the, and I assume it's not just him. You assume it's the whole German team, but he was the one who was photographed and he's the one who got the win. So it becomes more of an issue. But the longer it goes on, it becomes more and more difficult to change that result. And you know, should they have disqualified him after the first run? Potentially. Well, it does say, doesn't it, that, that, that they'll be disqualified? It says, the FIS rules state that competition results achieved after the use of the equipment shall be automatically disqualified. But he wasn't. But he wasn't, and it's now gone on. The presentations have been made, the ranking points have been awarded. I don't know if they can now go back. There's normally a protest window um, after the race, and it's only sort of half an hour to an hour or so. Once that's gone... I don't know how that works. And obviously a doping breach is, is a separate to that because it goes beyond that time scale. But WADA don't see it as a doping breach. So um, it's interesting to see how FIS go on with this. And I don't know how much noise some of the other teams are making about it. I'm sure they're making some noise. I can't see them being quiet about it because, <laughs> because well, firstly, I can't see how FIS are now able to, to disqualify him. Like you said, there's a new FIS list come out. We ran... A giant slalom World Cup race after this incident, where the, and therefore rankings have changed based on Stefan Lutz's result, based on on the World Cup in Beaver Creek that had effects for the racing on Saturday for the men, and we've had that result happen. So, if you try and go back and disqualify Lutz from Beaver Creek, it means that everybody else's ranking points through the whole race have changed, which means the start list was then have been wrong for Val d'Azur. So, I think that they've they can't really do anything about it, but they haven't made a definitive decision. They haven't written, you know, made a press release and said, this is the result, it's standing, or we don't like it and we're looking into it. They've sort of been quite hushed about it after WADA have gone, do you know what, we don't see this as an issue, this is down to you. Yeah, and it's, I'm sure there's a lot of politics going on in the background with um, different teams making different noises about it. We've seen it a lot in training. When we were training in Chile, exactly. we saw the Germans actually, and amongst other teams, lots of teams were doing it in Canadians, the training, you know, skiing at 3,000 metres. And we got to the bottom, exhausted, and they, they were putting on oxygen and you know helping them to recover. That's out of competition, so it's a, a different thing. But because in competition, as... it doesn't generally make as much difference, except in the 
places like Solden, which is really high, and Beaver Creek, which is also sort of 3,000 meters. Most of the races in Europe around 2,000, the benefit is a lot less. So maybe that's why we haven't seen it so much. But it'd be interesting to see if photos or information on people doing it last year or years gone by in these places. I think it's also interesting, like you say, Wad have said that it isn't performance enhancing, but it does have a beneficial effect. Well, one of them, they wouldn't do it, but it, you know, we know it from experience. You, we see it a lot on TV when or they cut to the top of the, the course now and the start routines that the guys are going through are rigorous. All the warm-up exercise and all that sort of stuff, and you get out of breath doing it, don't you? You do feel like you're you have to get your heart pumping so you're therefore getting the blood going around the body you do build up lactic acid so if you're able to you know take a few inhalations on your oxygen tank then you recover quicker you don't feel the effects of these blasts to the body as as prevalent as somebody that hasn't done it so i think it's i think it's tricky i mean i don't like to see it because i also think it just detracts from the physical nature of our sport but i'd like fizz to come out and say this is not acceptable and like I said, I think it's going to be hard to do something retrospectively, but I think they need to clear it up. Yeah, I think they need to clear the rules for going forward, for sure. Right. Men are in action this weekend. Uh, Friday, there's a Super G. Saturday, downhill. And then they go across to Alta Badia for GS and then Parallel Slalom. So quite a busy schedule. You and I both raced World Cup in Vargardena. And it's one of my personal favourites. I, I was going to say exactly the same. It's it's such a fun hill, isn't it? It's never really steep, but there's some big old jumps and lots of smaller jumps and lots of terrain to, to figure out and play with. And the the training runs are always an exciting thing, the first training run. So I'm not sure how much speed you're going to have coming into the camel bumps, how f- f- hard you're going to fly, how much you have to pop. It's a scary place, but it's so much fun. It's so good. I remember vividly my first time that we raced there, and you're tucking in on that flat section just before the camels, and the camel bumps are, there's three rolls, and you get light on the first one, and then you launch off the second one. You miss the uh, middle up between second and third and land on the back side of the third, and I remember tucking into that just hoping that you're going to do it right because you're carrying you know, 70 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour by the time you're coming into these jumps and you and you just have to hope that you've got it right because you can't practice taking off. Exactly, and it's, you have so long. It's, I think you're tucking in a straight line for about two or 300 metres beforehand. It's a long old time to think about it. And I remember the first course report I got from the American coaches was, coming in, you, you have to pop a little bit, but not too much. Don't pop too much, <laughs> just pop a bit. And I'm standing at the start going, I've got pop and I've got don't pop. I don't have a half pop in. I, I've never really tried this. And uh, it all worked fine. But it's, it's a hell of a feeling sort of flying off that. And we've seen some amazing crashes there. I remember Poisson having yeah, the a late huge crash there before. Yeah, he caught, uh, he caught an edge just after the first roll of the camels took off and went into this flat spin I remember that day and I spoke to him in the finish area and I was like because he was starting sort of similar number to to me and I was like Dave how did it go and he said well it went did you not see and I was like no and he said well just watch it on YouTube and I'll speak to you tomorrow and I watched it on YouTube and this guy flying backwards you know 60 meter jump flat spin and the guy just got up bit bruised raced the next day yeah it's uh different breed aren't they different. <laughs> the downhillers and you have to be to send it send it that hard uh, every week on these on these pieces and you know that's just one of the jumps we're talking about there's a whole load more jumps yeah. and lots of more places to get it wrong and chaslat at the bottom is 
probably two or three of the coolest turns to ski in World Cup as well, like kind of popping off rollers in the middle of a turn, landing on the backside to continue your turn. And um, if you're lucky, it's bright down there, but quite often it's pretty dark in the trees as well. So there's lots going on, lots to think about, um, and hope your skis are running too, because there's lots of flat sections gliding, and you've got to really carry your speed. Yeah, so I think for the for the men's speed section, I spoke about it before. There are so many races that can win. There's about 15 World Cup athletes who could easily come out on the podium. And we've seen some exceptional performances already. Max Franz taking a couple of wins. Caveat uh, Sell coming from re- not nowhere, but you know, not expected to be podiuming. Coming out and, and absolutely smashing the opening races. Beat Foyts. Who, who are you looking at for these speed events? Well, I think in the downhill, it's really tough. And it's one of these races that... Every few years, the later numbers have this huge advantage as the, as the weather changes and the piece can firm back up later on and the wind can pick up and give you a tailwind. So we've seen some of these really high numbers come in and win or fill out the top 10. So it's a tough one, tough one to call. But um, for me, it's hard to see past Axel and Jansrud um, being on that podium. Um, but as an outside bet, I would think Steve Nyman... He's won there a couple of times in the past. His serviceman is Mr. Valgardena. Uh, used to do a Christian Gadina skis when he won several times there as well. So there's a few guys. And then you've got the Beat Foyts is on top form as well. Dominic so. Paris skiing quickly. And he, he loves this place as well. So there's just so many there's so many outsides. It's going to be half of the bookies for them to pick favourites. And I think for us, it just means, as the ski racing fan, that it's just another super exciting racing weekend. Yeah, it's going to be a, a good one, I think. And the, the Super G, it's an interesting one as well because you've got the two training runs, then you've got the Super G in between, and then you go back to the downhill. So it was always a bit strange. You're sort of building towards this downhill, and then there's a Super G thrown in the middle there as well. But it's, it's always a fun race, and it's always exciting to see. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some um, slightly different results to what we've seen before. Right, neck on the block. Super G? Svindal. Okay, I'm I'm going to stick Norwegian as well. I'm going to go Jansr at Super G. Okay. Uh, downhill? I quite fancy Paris, actually. Oh, I was going to go Paris. All right, I, I'm going to switch up then. And I might go a little outside the box. I'm going to go with Kavietzel. Just because he's been on form so far. He's got a good touch on the skis. There's loads of terrain here. And you nick Dominus Paris there. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the speed uh, races taken care of. Then we spin round to Alta Badia where the men are in action in GS again. Hopefully, we might have some bit more normal conditions there, but this is a tough place to come. This tr- this track, is it works them hard top to bottom. Yeah, it's a really tricky one, and it's there's no, there's no rhythm. There's no places to find your rhythm. There's all these short pitches, and suddenly a side hill, steeper, flatter. Um, so it's constantly changing, um, and it can be a really tricky place. It also depends on the on the course set. We've seen um, some coaches set very short distance there and it just works them all the way down or they can set a bit more flowing um, and use a bit more of the terrain. Again, for me, hard to see past Hirscher yeah, I couldn't when he's agree on more. this form. Let's take, let's take Hirscher out of the equation. Or actually, let's take Hirscher and Christofferson out of the, t- the equation. Who is going to take the final step on the podium? Because it almost feels like the top two are kind of, you know, past forms, anything to go by. They're, they're kind of almost nailed on, aren't they? Who's going to take that final step on the podium? That's a, it's a tough question, isn't it? It's, um, you think it'll be interesting to see if Lewis can find that form again that he had in Beaver Creek. 
But, uh, and, and we've seen Ted Ligeti destroy races here, but he just doesn't have that form anymore. I would actually say maybe another German, Felix Neureiter, could pull one out of the bag. He seems to be sort of getting back to full fitness and full form, and as an outside bet, I would quite fancy Felix. I think that's quite a good shout. Um, who shall I go for? I don't, I just, it's so difficult, isn't it? I just feel like the rest of the field, the next sort of 10 races are all relatively close. Um, is there an Italian to keep it? Pushing on home snow, probably not. Olsen was quite was pretty quick at the weekend. Um, I'm just going to stick with form. I think I'm going to go Olsen. I'm going to go stay in podium. A bit dull, but... <laughs> uh, and then um, the parallel, which works out quite well. It seems this, it's, this piece works really nicely for it under floodlights normally. And this is a parallel oh, GS rather yeah. than the parallel slalom with the GS gates. So we have completely different winners here in Altabadia to most of the sort of city events. So it's, um, it is always an interesting one. And there's often quite a few surprises. Jansrud's pulled it out a few times, having not been on great form in GS, and suddenly pulled it out in the parallel in Altabadia. So it's a tough one to call. And Hirscher, this could be his weakness, isn't it? It he is. He's, he hasn't seem typically, gone, head typically head. gone head-to-head well, so... I think if any if anything, uh, Christopherson might might go in as favourite. I don't know, uh, and I think Christopherson might take this opportunity to try and really get a bit of a boost over Hirscher, maybe. Yeah, I think, I think you know we saw it last year when people beat Hirscher in the in the city events. It was a big confidence boost for them, wasn't it? I didn't seem to affect Hirscher, but no. it does seem to give them that real confidence boost. So um, I think for Christopherson, if he could score one over uh, Marcel, that would be. Good for him. I'm not sure it's going to make the difference. <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to make the difference for the rest of the season, but it will certainly give him a, a little bit of a boost and, and maybe not be quite as dejected when he comes down and finds himself in second place yet again. <laughs> um, and just finally, let's finish on the Brits. Charlie Raposo is going to be racing over in the Tech races at the weekend. Skied quite well in um, in Val Not a couple of big mistakes he's been working super hard at his transitions trying to find an edge nice and early in the turn and build pressure in the in the early quarter of the turn but he's struggling with back injuries still at the moment not quite able to be there fitness wise in terms of injuries but he's uh, he's making steps in the right direction yeah it's great to have brits competing and and in amongst it um i think for him Altabadia will be quite a tough one you know it's I think there's a lot of experience to be gained there I think it's a tricky piece so the form he's in he's going in really for that experience and hopefully that will help him build through the season um, with a view to coming back here in the future I think yeah, it's, it's difficult it, it's a difficult ask for a top 30 to try and get your first top 30 in, in sure. Altabadia just like you say because the piece it, it is difficult and they do tend to set very tricky courses down there and Proposal will be starting in the in the forties, I think mid forties. So there's a shot like there is for any of these guys. You don't go into World Cup without a shot at the top thirty, really. But I, th- I think it's a big ask. But confidence-wise, you know, I think you could take heart from from uh, a good ski here in Altabadia means that you can you could ski well in most places. I think. Yeah. And then uh, Jack Gower, racing speed events. Nice to have a a Brit back doing the speed. Yes, yeah, nice to have a, a Brit back in the speed and. Uh... I mean, in Super G, Jack is, or can be, just unbelievably good. So, fingers crossed he could get it going in Val Gardena. It's quite a, quite a nice track for him. I think it, it suits him if he can really switch that on to charge at it. Um, it's a bit less intimidating than 
um, than Beaver Creek. So I think it, it could be a good one, but again, it's a lot of small terrain and um, different difficulties with the light, etc. So it might be a tough one to come in and, and do well in your first attempt. But the good thing about speed racing with a higher number in Val Gardena, as you touched on it earlier about the weather, the sun does seem to come round the mountains uh, and does light up some of those trickier sections towards the bottom a little later in the race. So sometimes we do get a couple of guys in from the back, but uh, we've all got our fingers crossed for, for the Brits as they try and score some top 30s this weekend. Uh, like I said, no racing for the women this coming weekend, but they are going to be racing in Val Gardena uh, just after the men. Uh, as that's all we've got time for. Thank you, Dougie, for joining me on the Ski Racing Podcast. Until next week, goodbye.